From Key Biscayne, this is Antisocial, the program that takes a look at social media, the news, tries to make sense of it, spits it in a blender, and I don't know what comes out on the other end. I'm Tony Winton. A daiquiri. A, a news, news daiquiri. daiquiri comes out of it. I'm Tom Mosloom, and now I need a drink. Well, uh, Tony... We have a. I'm sorry, I did that. I really didn't show up right from the first line. It's always. We didn't even get into it. But it's not. It's not actually a funny show. We have. Uh, we're going to get right into it. We have a, a very serious topic to talk about. Uh, the Capitol riots, um, and we have one of your old colleagues, Tony, who was there. Exactly, and uh, we're going to talk about that. And then in a moment after that, we'll be talking about uh, some major issues in the uh, city of Miami, Miami-Dade County, with the newly elected county commissioner, Raquel Regalado. She'll be joining us right afterwards. But first, we're going to talk about uh, what is going on at the United States Capitol, Washington, D.C., a lot of tension after what happened on January 6th, the upcoming inauguration of President-elect Joe Biden taking place on the 20th. And someone who is a witness to history that I've worked with for many, many years uh, in Haiti, in other places around the country, veteran photojournalist J. Scott Applewhite of the Associated Press. He is joining us now live from the Senate side of the U.S. Capitol. And welcome, Scott. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Tony, my old friend. Uh, wow, we've seen a lot together, haven't we? We have, and a long way, a long way from uh, voodoo sessions in Haiti, I'd have to say. Yeah. <laughs> but you well, you know, we covered the White House and, and the Hill Indeed. cross paths a lot there, and uh, so I know that the events uh, on January sixth were. Um, uh, it wasn't something that's distant to you. It's these are halls that you've walked and you've reported in, and and uh, so it was probably. Um, uh, it, was, it might have been a little personal for you. Well, especially knowing that it's a space where where the reporters work and the photographers work. Yeah. You know, what people see on TV are big rooms with the ornate um, carvings and uh, other letterings and the desks where the representatives and the, and the senators sit. But I know that there's a zillion little warrens and, and uh, hallways and passages, and it's, it's a, a really kind of a maze up there. And necessarily getting out into places of safety may not be the easiest thing. Tell us what was happening. Uh, you, were, uh, you, were, you were making images. You went into the gallery, which is that, that seating area on top, overlooking, yeah. right? Tell us what happened. Yeah. Well, nothing about January 6th was normal in the first place. I mean, the Electoral College is often a, just a pro forma event. It's often, you know, it's bypassed by the media. So it's a bit of constitutional nostalgia. Well, I think that was sort of something that's in the past now. Um, and the the planned defiance of the Electoral College uh, ballots uh, that had been planned by some of the uh, uh, Republican senators um, – was uh, making it a, li- a bit more newsworthy this time. So we had lobbied, you know, normally photographers are not allowed inside the chamber for uh, uh, for events, except maybe something like the State of the Union. 
but we had lobbied hard to uh, to get in, and so we had a presence uh, on uh, a week ago Wednesday. And uh, another AP photographer and I were set up to cover the you know these challenges to the election. And uh, my colleague was facing the dais where Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi and the Vice President uh, Michael Pence were. I if for anybody who doesn't remember their their uh, civics classes, uh, the vice president is there because constitutionally his role he's the president of the Senate, so he'd be the top officer in the Senate. No, although he doesn't vote unless there's a unless there's a tie uh, tie to be broken. And so I was on the opposite balcony from my colleague, and I was watching the um, the lawmakers, uh, specifically focused on the Republicans, where the, uh, the uh, challenges were going to come from, and. Um, so it about uh oh, I guess about um I guess about 215 or so uh a gentleman uh in a suit he was uh, I think he's with the um sergeant at arms office house sergeant at arms and he went to the dais where uh the speaker had been and um made an announcement that the capitol the building has been breached and I got to tell you I what does that mean? You know, everybody looked pretty puzzled, but the you know the members kept their cool, and um, so basically the the members stood around on the floor as if they uh, they were waiting for a speech to end or something. Oh, the next thing to happen, the there was a lull in the action at this point because after the uh, Republican senators had made their challenge, the business in the House paused for a while so the senate senators could go back to their side of the capitol to right it uh, pings pong back it pings ping pongs back and forth between yeah, the two ping pong, yeah. absolutely yeah so this this announcement um it there wasn't a, a lot of reaction right at first because uh, uh it's such an unprecedented thing uh, but i but i would say uh, everybody kept their cool obviously puzzled then another announcement came that there was tear gas in the nearby rotunda i mean the rotunda the center of the Capitol with that magnificent, uh, you know, underneath the the dome, um, they said that uh, there was tear gas there. So everyone should reach under their seats and grab their um, escape hoods. These are all measures that have been taken that were taken in uh, response to uh, the attacks of 9-11. I didn't even know there were escape hoods in the yeah. chamber. Yeah, that was that was new news. So, Scott, when this is going on, when this was going on, what did you hear? What was the sound? Well, obviously, you could hear the the raging crowd sort of, you know, storming through the corridors, and and then it got a little more quiet. But I, you know, what do you call it? It was like a growl. It was like a growl as the from the mob as you know as the attack came closer, and then it was punctuated by glass breaking. There, the doors at the back of the house chamber, the doors where you hear at the State of the Union. The uh, sergeant arms will announce, Mr. Speaker, the president. And that is right where um, the action happened. These uh, ornate, uh, the glass in these doors started getting getting broken by the people on the other side. And these special agents of the Capitol Police uh, and some, some, some members, they, uh, they jumped into action and um, they quickly barricaded the door. They, I'm sure they could hear better than I, I could. I was in a balcony about 50, 60 feet away, and they barricaded the door with some heavy uh, furniture that, you know, like benches that they store things in, and then they started piling things on top of that. 
And uh, at this point, the 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 uh, special agents of the police they uh, they had their sidearms drawn. The guns were pointed right at this hole where you could barely see uh, the eye of another man on you know with the part of the attack on the outside of the door. And I could hear there was one new congressman from Texas who uh, he has a law enforcement background, and he actually stepped forward to try to. Uh, talked to the man on the other side uh, th- through that uh, hole in the glass. He actually, I think, tried to de-escalate it a little bit. And, you know, he would say, you know, you don't want to do this. It's um, you need to leave here. And uh, but it persisted, um, and uh, it got more and more tense. When you saw those, and then I'm thinking of this image that went around the world, one of many from that day, of these uh, officers with their weapons drawn, pointing at that little glass hole in that ornate door with the furniture barricaded uh, that you made with a long lens sitting up there. What were you, were you expecting shots next? I mean, it's an instinct. You keep shooting, right? That's what AP people do. They just keep working. Well, the first thing was you have to be there. Yeah. Uh, You can't cover something uh, unless you're there. And when the uh, lawmakers were evacuated, um, all the press who had been in the, um, in the press gallery overlooking uh, the chamber were naturally uh, evacuated too. There, I know most everyone. Their instinct was to to stay and, and, and cover the news, but um, it sounded pretty dreadful. And, and you got to remember this. I like you said at the at the top of the show. You and I have had experience in conflict zones and that sort of thing. So I'm not trying to, you know, sound braver, you know, than anyone else. But our instinct is to. Uh, to stay and cover the news, and actually, I was further away <clears throat> from the uh, escape route than, than most of my colleagues. And it was pretty. It was, the police would have had to go way out of their way to come over and get me. And most of the other reporters at this time had been evacuated. I just said, uh, "I'm staying." You know, I, this is the AP. We stay and we report. Yeah. And by that time, um, uh, everyone was out the door, and I was the only journalist left. Reflecting back now, we only have a few minutes left, and I know you have work to do up there, up up on the hill. Uh, reflecting back, we're now pivoting towards the inauguration, and I would have to say, based on 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 your images and the images of others and the reporting, unprecedented levels of security for this inauguration. What does it feel like? What does it look like? And how are you preparing for that coming up on the twentieth? Well, you can. I, what that looks like is, is no secret. Uh, to the world, I mean, you can you'll see it on the network news and other places. Um, it, Washington is very quiet right now. It's on. It's almost as quiet as it was back in March when uh, during the the COVID lockdown. The difference is the streets are lined now with uh, 15 foot high fences and uh, thousands of uh, men and women in the National Guard who are here to protect this citadel of democracy. I mean. Um, Washington is, of course, a magnet for Americans. It's a natural place for Americans to come and raise their voices about what's important to them. Maybe whatever the issue is, maybe it might be, you know, uh, political controversies, uh, gun violence, whatever their interest, you know, whatever their interest is. They, people come to Washington, but they usually do it. They might make a lot of noise, but we've never seen anything like this. Obviously, I mean, this is the building where you know George Washington himself laid the cornerstone in 1790 and um, um, actually heard a, a, a 
a friend of mine, uh, another journalist, uh, a lot of people are having a little PTSD. Um, no doubt, um, uh, good men and women in the U.S. Capitol Police, um, many of the congressmen, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, I did I did hear, um, you know, because I can only speak for other journalists. I mean, uh, certainly the um, there have been a lot of attacks on journalists lately. Um, the crowd was talking to some of my colleagues, demanding to know, who are you? Who are you with? Are you with CNN or the New York Times, Washington Post? I mean, the AP had a, a large setup outside to cover the day, a lot of uh, TV gear, and it was trashed. Yeah, I it saw pictures. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This friend of mine said today, asked how she felt. She said, well, if I was going to die here, then, you know, that would be okay. This is a good place to die. Um, and, wow. uh, wow. <laughs> I'd hate to, yeah, I'm glad I wasn't thinking In, about that, but, but, uh, uh, I'm, I don't think we're going to have, a, I hope we don't have another repeat. I'm obviously, uh, what we're seeing today looks like the city is prepared, but, um, um, I don't want people to have to be um, Americans to uh, attack other Americans to get their points across. Uh, we've had, uh, you know, the freedom of speech that protect the First Amendment that protects uh, that protects journalists like me, and and it protects everyone's uh, right to say what they want and to peaceably assemble. And I hope that uh, going forward, that uh, our friends who come from across the country to uh, speak their minds and their hearts here, that it's peaceable. Well, Scott, thank you uh, for sharing those wise words and words I think everybody would agree on, uh, peace and having uh, people being able to express themselves in a way that our our founders wanted them to, uh, but without violence and to uh, remain a nation of, of laws and not men. Again, our guest, Scott J. Scott Applewhite, a photographer with the Associated Press for many decades uh, uh, and a good friend. And stay safe, Scott, uh, up there. Stay safe, Scott. Yeah. Thank you, brothers. Thank you. as, As we do that. And we'll be back in just a minute. We are back live on WSQF LP 94.5 FM in Key Biscayne. I'm Tony Winton. I'm Tom Mazloom. And as we said at the top of the show, joining us now is the brand new District 7 Commissioner, Raquel Regalado. Thank you for coming on the show again. You've been busy. I follow you on Twitter and you've been busy. Well, I told you guys uh, last time that we talked before the election that I was going to hit the ground running. And I think I exceeded everyone's expectation. I was told by one of the county attorneys that I'm like on agenda item 15 uh, for this week's meeting. So we've been we've been moving fast and furious. Uh, And listen, there's a lot to do. So uh, I think it's been very well received. No, I mean, honestly, you are hard at work. You've had a ton of meetings. You've talked to a bunch of people. You're reaching out to the municipal leaders in Miami-Dade County. And I don't know that we've seen a commissioner do this in a long time. So kudos to you. 
Thank you. Thank you. So I had, uh, you know, one of the things that I did as a school board member of you guys, and we talked about it is I used to go to our municipal meetings and talk about what we were doing at the school board. And now I'm doing it as a county commissioner. So uh, this week I was at the Key Biscayne meeting and at the Pinecrest meeting uh, before the holidays. I did South Miami and the city of Miami. And next week I'm back at the city of Miami. Uh, so, yeah, so we're trying to do it, if not every month, every other month, uh, depending on uh, when folks meet. Oh, and I did Corey Gables also before the end of the year. So I've already gone uh, to all the city commissions and I'm actually, uh, they're getting a delivery of all their septic uh, maps. So we actually made a request uh, to WASA and everyone is getting kind of their little piece of the septic puzzle. Uh, and that's our next big initiative. And we've also been informing them on uh, rental assistance and vaccines, uh, which obviously is one of the big questions uh, that everybody uh, has. Commissioner, thanks again, Tony Witten here for joining our uh, program and the following through. We talked to you during the campaign and you're here with us. And I did get to listen to your lengthy Q&A with the uh, Key Biscayne Village Council about a number of issues. But we have to start off with COVID-19 and the state of vaccinations. The uh, The village of Key Biscayne is debating, and as I'm sure many other uh, localities are that you are in your uh, district, uh, can we somehow speed them up? Can we make sure that seniors and other vulnerable populations get them? Uh, how can we help? And it, what is the municipal role? And I know you've been working on that. You told the council. What What can you fill us in on? What What's the latest in that? Right. So, so latest and greatest is uh, our meeting January 20th. We're dealing with several issues. Uh, I'm actually trying to get one of my board items uh, in. What I want to do is create a registry. And um, so the county had its first uh, vaccine, you know, vaccine meeting. We had a Zoom meeting, a sunshine meeting where we talked about it. And we're going to be having them weekly. So uh, coming up, it's next Friday, the 22nd. And what I talked about during that meeting is we need more information and we need to provide that to our municipalities. We also need to explain to folks what the limitations are from Tallahassee, right? So the governor has a lot of discretion and, and the governor has specifically said that he doesn't want uh, residency requirements uh, for different reasons. And at our Zoom meeting, we talked about how it would negatively impact undocumented immigrants and how they would feel that you know they couldn't have access. But there's all these questions about are people coming from outside of Miami-Dade County to get these vaccines? And that's been something that every municipality has requested. So I made an official request uh, to the mayor's office uh, for all the zip codes. So let's look at the zip codes, right? So the first thing we need to know is as part of the CDC requirement, you have to give an address and a zip code. We've confirmed with all the hospitals and the counties and the cities that they have that information. So we're going to be providing the municipalities with zip code data so that they can know kind of where we're at um, and it's uh, it's important for everyone to kind of have an idea is there a phenomenon of people coming from different countries if so it will be there so we'll deal with that first let's debunk it or prove it right and then based on whether it's true or it's not and how much of it is going on then we'll take next steps what we don't want to do is start creating policy that's going to limit our access to the vaccines we don't want to create some issue with Tallahassee that then is going to put us, you know, on the receiving end 
and of some other political issues. Right now, our ask is for as many vaccines as possible. Now, in terms of the rollout, I did request information from the mayor, and she's she's going to be providing it to us on a biweekly basis on the cost of this. So that's another thing. You know, we're talking about opening all these different sites. We don't have enough vaccines. I don't know why we're opening all these sites. Every time we open one of these sites, it's like half a million dollars, right? So let's like figure it out. This is not testing. We can't use the same sort of mindset that we had for testing because with testing, you know, we knew that something was coming. It wasn't as expensive as it is with the vaccines because of the refrigeration. You know, there's different components based on what vaccine we get. If we get the Pfizer one, you need something. If you get the Moderna, you need something else and there's other vaccines coming so right now also unlike the testing we don't want it's unclear what we're receiving from the federal well, government i guess my so vaccine money right i guess what i'm asking uh-huh. is when, when the vaccine because obviously you know we have a change in the national government we just talked about there's going to be uh, a lot of uh, emphasis apparently from what we're hearing from the president-elect about getting these vaccines out there but clearly there's a limited supply right uh, until we have the other other types of vaccines in the pipeline what do you, what is the correct role should, are we okay with the way it's happening now do the should there be municipal distribution i mean who I mean, who is what what is the overall thinking as i'm trying to get at from the county's point of view well um i mean we all have different ideas what yeah. i'm requesting is uh, I want people to sign up. I think it's kind of crazy that we're asking people that are 65 and over to go to a website over and over again to see if there's vaccine available. You know, Manatee County uh, did a list and then people get the information sent to them. I think that's the smartest thing. So my agenda item is requesting a comprehensive list. So right now, so that everybody gets an idea of the numbers, we have 465,000 people in Miami-Dade County that are over the age of 65. What we need to know is how many of those people want the vaccine right now, right? We should have that information and we should be sending them information because unfortunately, a lot of them don't have access to technology. They're asking their kids to log in. They're asking their grandkids to log in. And it's kind of absurd that we're telling people, well, check on social media to check about the vaccine. I mean, that's, that, I mean, that would be okay if the targeted age group was a millennial, right? But it's (laughs) a little, it's a little outside of the norm for someone that's 70. So I think we're having an issue in terms of like the audience, you know, and the message. Uh, So I want a comprehensive list, which is what some counties are doing. And by the way, the state's already doing that. So the state is already moving forward with a comprehensive list. Now, if we get more vaccine and it's a matter of the push, then I think the municipalities should be ready to do that. But right now, we don't have enough to run our own uh, centers. And that's why I'm asking, you know, the county to be prudent, you know, when opening these centers. And let's be honest. Here's another thing. I think when it came to the testing, it was important to put it in different places so that people could go. Right. I think in terms of the vaccine, you know, it's kind of turned on its head. We don't have to entice people to come. They want to come. So I don't think we have to open a million different things in a million different places. I just think we need to have, you know, we need to have the vaccine. We need to do it right. We need to get it right and then get people there and move it as quickly as possible. Tom. So when you see uh, this rollout happening, do you think that there's going to be an accompanying relaxation of the restrictions that are currently in place? Or are is that a is that a long-term thing? How, how soon before we see 
the commission start yeah. making noise and saying, let's open things back. Let's get things. Let's get let's get our restaurants back to full capacity, et cetera. Well, I mean, you guys saw at the city of Miami, they extended the outdoor dining until September. Right. So that's another thing that the county is going to be talking about. I think that they're, you know, it's, it's going to take a while. I mean, I'm in an age group that isn't even like, you know, they haven't even thought about what they're going to do with people of a certain age. So uh, one of the things that uh, I think we'll see is depends on how quickly we get them and how quickly we administer them. I mean, we're talking about, you know, the first dose, 21 days or 28 days, whether you get Pfizer or Moderna, the second dose and then two weeks. So you're looking at a two week period. Period. Uh, we still haven't done all of our nursing homes and ALFs in Miami-Dade County. CVS and Walgreens are behind. Uh, Broward has all that done, but that's because they had the governor's help. Uh, we haven't done it. We haven't talked about special needs. Uh, we have frontline workers, you know, uh, our police officers are not in line for this. Our teachers are not in line for this. So I, I think it's going to take us uh, two or three months to really kind of get our head around this thing and, and see where we are in terms of the numbers uh, and then see how folks are behaving. Uh, and I think the masks are going to be around for for a bit. Uh, and clearly, the more people get vaccinated, the more movement we'll see to, to reopening. But I will tell you this right now, um, since the people who are being vaccinated are older than 65, they're not the ones that are pushing to reopen. They just want their vaccines. Right. So right. I, I think as we get to younger people, that might that might change a little in terms of what they would like to see. Thank you. I'm going to we have just a little bit of time left and we have so many issues to talk about you. We're going we, we're gonna to have to have you on yeah. as a regular guest, I think. Tom. Yeah, you're going to have to be a regular. <laughs> There's guest just so much stuff to talk about. But <laughs> but the the uh, uh, one thing that's of, of, of key interest here, um, and I you did mention it in your discussion with the Key Biscayne Village Council, is the fate of the Key Biscayne Library, which is somewhat controversial here on the island. And you had mentioned that you were getting in there. There's uh, uh, litigation at the moment. Uh, the, the Key County Homeowners Association is concerned about the future of that property and what it looks like. What's going on? So let me ask you guys, how did this get so complicated? Uh, you know, I was looking at the pleadings and it's one of those bizarre situations where you ask yourself, since when has the county ever been accused of overdoing it? Right. I mean, this is a library. I wish that we lived in a county where, you know, the county, you know, spent way too many resources building out a library. Library commandos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's not that's not the case. <laughs> no. We have such a wonderful uh, library system. Our library director, uh, Ray Baker, is wonderful. And I actually have a library item on this agenda that I'm super excited about uh, because we're we're rolling out an inclusion program for uh, adults and children with autism uh, and other neurological disabilities across several county departments. We're doing libraries, parks, transit, police and fire. It's the biggest program of its kind uh, in the nation. So we're hoping that it's going to be a model. And, and, I, and I just think that we need to sit down uh, with Key Colony and kind of talk to them about how we want to make a wonderful space uh, for children and adults. I mean, we want to bring this great library system. Them, uh, into Key Biscayne. Uh, and, and I don't know why they wouldn't want that. Normally you have uh, people asking, like I have Coconut Grove wants a library. 
library, right? I mean, I have areas who want a library. There's very few areas who don't want a library. Uh, but I think there's just been some miscommunication somewhere along the line. I would blame an attorney, but since I am an attorney, I can't do that. So um, no. hopefully, hopefully, another <laughs> attorney will make it better and not worse, right? So uh, I hope to resolve it soon. All right. Well, that's that's encouraging news. It's out there. The I guess the dispute is. Uh, related mostly to traffic and how it interferes the entrance and maybe some of the aesthetics involved. But uh, it's it's uh, been stuck there in this litigation phase for a while. So we'll we'll monitor yeah. that one as those well. Those are those are solvable problems. I, yeah. I sat I sat these on the uh, I I sat on the mayor's commission on libraries to come up with these ideas, and we interviewed a ton of people. And you're right, there was not one community that didn't raise their hand and go, yeah, we want, we want you to invest in our library. Right. Yeah. Yeah. These are first world issues, right? So obviously traffic and and congestion. um, But I want to say one thing, I mean, Key Biscayne is, you know, and thankfully uh, a lot of areas in district seven, it's a very walkable area, right? So a lot of people, you know, walk to this library. So I think it's just a matter of finding something that works for everyone. Uh, But it's a, it's a tremendous opportunity and our kids in Key Biscayne are missing out, Uh, especially right now. I mean, our library system has so many resources. Uh, and and it's another opportunity to really enjoy a public space. So I promise you that we're working hard to resolve it. Uh, I'm also uh, taking a field trip to Virginia Key. We're dealing with seaweed this yes. week. I have a seaweed field trip. Uh, so uh, we're going to resolve our seaweed issue. And we've actually put together a meeting with all the stakeholders just so that everybody's on the same page. Right. We don't want, you know, to come up with solutions and then have impediments. Uh, so we're kind of calling everybody together to talk about how we're going to do it. And and we hope to come up with with a solution as soon as possible, uh, because that's another issue that really impacts the key. Right. And uh, we will have to save this one for next uh, next time you're on. But we'll certainly talk about the Rickenbacker Causeway and the Bearcut Bridge. Bearcut. And I know you have uh, uh, that's part of your uh, what you talked about as well at the council. So we have we'll have to already queue up for the next show. Thank you, Commissioner. No, my pleasure. My pleasure. And thank you guys for educating everyone on this stuff. Uh, and if anybody wants to reach me, they can follow me on social media or they can email me. It's district seven uh, at miamidade.gov. Uh, I will be participating in all the city council meetings uh, and my staff will be also. And we're very uh, happy to be serving the village of Cuba's game. Thank you. Commissioner Raquel Regalado, newly elected to District 7 and uh, a guest here, one of probably many appearances uh, on Antisocial to keep us apprised and and, and answer questions about what's going on with our county government. And we'll be back in just a moment. And we're back on Antisocial. I'm Tony Winton. I'm Tom Mosloom. Uh, Well, Tony, we had the national news. We had the county news. But I understand there's plenty of Key Biscayne news that we have to talk about. Well, yeah. uh, And and let's start off with uh, 
yeah, council meeting? Yes, we had our council meeting, and we've got we, we can review some of the things there. And the first one relates just to our last discussion there um, about um, about what we're doing with the um, uh, vaccination program here. And it came up as I mentioned in our uh, council in Key Biscayne, where the debate was whether or not to spend local dollars to, if possible, have a vaccine program on the island for the at-risk populations. Um, and it was a series of, you know, start off with education and then maybe uh, making booking appointments and then possibly transportation. But is it possible to also actually get the vaccine? And here's what the debate sounded like. The council coming to a consensus to actually go ahead and do that, even though it could cost at the beginning as much as $3,000 a day. I give them a, a, a blank a blank check, if you will. <laughs> I'm going there. I'll give them a blank oh, check on this because In I a want pandemic? Them. In, uh, on the, uh, why not? Somebody, on else, the, somebody else's money. Yeah, it's not Ed. It's it's our it's our residents' lives. That's what it's about, and I want to get them vaccinated as soon as possible. So that's my position. So the premise that you land with is helping people get appointments if it's possible to do so. Absolutely. Which is necessary because the appointment process through the websites is very difficult, and it's catch as catch can. Of course helping with transportation, and if there's an opportunity to acquire a quantity of vaccines dedicated to this community, should take advantage of getting that quantity. 100%. Then we have the um, storage refrigeration question, but these these people are working to figure yeah, these out. They're working things. on that with the city of Miami and the counties, I understand it. So let's do it. All right. Are we all in agreement? Thank you guys for working on this. Thank you to Melissa for doing this. And that was the mayor, Mike Davey, interacting with uh, council member Frank Kaplan and Ed London uh, about uh, going forward with an overall vaccine strategy at last week's meeting. Well, I mean, I get it and I understand the sentiment that Mayor Davey was getting out and it is noble and it is right. We don't want to spare any expense to save lives. Um, But I believe that was council member London saying it's easy to say that we're going to give a blank check when it's other people's money. So this is what municipalities like Key Biscayne are going to be struggling with. We want everybody to be safe. The question is, you know, money is a finite thing. And how are you going to spend that in the best ways to make it most effective? Because there's no such thing as a blank blank check. Right, exactly. But also, uh, I think that was a tiered, you heard that was the, the desire was to do that as a last stop measure. And what I wasn't able to play was the the expectation, at least from the council's point of view, that there would be some kind of federal reimbursement uh, for municipalities that were doing this. So is it other people's money? Yes, but a bigger pool. Yeah, uh, yes, I got it. But there'll also be more competition for that pool and more politics. And if past is prologue, our last guest just said, oh, the governor was very active in getting Broward uh, more vaccines and Miami didn't have that pull. So do you really want to have financing for something as critical as vaccines, a political football? Well, to a degree, it's or, it already is. <laughs> and I, yeah, silly, silly me. How did well, we start the well, show? Well, and, right? and listen, I mean, the there's been reporting that uh, you know, high, uh, high. Um, there's black now a black market for the vaccines. That uh, there's a little money and influence that's being used for people with connections and power to get the vaccine. It's like anything else. It's 
Of course there is. Yes. So, uh, but but uh, uh, that is the just reporting there on what the what the council is doing in that that debate. We'll see what transpires. They no money. Just to be clear to our listeners, no money has actually been spent or appropriated. the The direction that you heard in that soundbite was the council telling the interim village manager uh, Charles Press, the ch- chief of police and the fire chief, to go ahead with the help of the Key Biscayne Community Foundation to look at these tiered options, uh, con- uh, booking appointments first, uh, making uh, connections and uh, actually even transportation if necessary, and and then also, but not ruling out, this expensive local distribution of vaccines, if possible and effective. So no money has been yeah, spent yet. But, and no animals were harmed in the making of this news story. I get it. But, uh, which brings us to the most important news item that was brought, brought up at the council meeting, no? Well... Um, yeah, I guess you could say it was, it's, it's, uh, it's just another debate that came up. Uh, it, it kind of caught me off guard. It's one of these things on the agenda that you just saw there that said dogs on the beach. And, um, and that's what came up. I can smell the problem that's going to grow. Uh, I know that police always responds to responses or to complaints, but this is a grossly understated complain because of how I started my comments. Condominium people don't want to complain because they have to convive together. Uh, I just sense the anger growing and uh, we need to be somehow proactive. Nice, but proactive. Perhaps we can start, Mayor, with uh, further exploring this thing. I think I, yeah, I, 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 I think that's the, that, that, maybe that's... a PR campaign. Tom, you're the marketing Ooh, guy. A PR, a PR campaign. Can, can I help? Maybe there's something that we could repurpose. Well, you know, it made me think that there already is a very famous PR campaign. I mean, it's been out there for a long time. Don't don't we all remember this one? Keep off the grass. All pups in the pound. You don't belong. You're out of bounds. You can't and please and carry please. You're not our crowd. No, no dogs allowed. allowed. Yes, I, I, I don't know, Tom. I actually think that wait, 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 wait. That campaign works for a variety of things, and I think that you have stumbled upon something pure genius, Tony. Um, you know, I just got the uh, Department of Emergency Management in Miami-Dade just texted me a list of all of the protests that they are expecting over the course of the next week. And if we just get that Blues Brother car with the giant megaphone on it and dr- drive it around the city playing that song, perhaps we could we could solve all our problems. There will be no violence. People will just go home quietly. We could just fill in the blank aloud. No yelling aloud. No illogic aloud. I think we could really use it for anything. We just need a person with a really super, was it, is that a beso profundo? Yeah. 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 No, no. I I think think you're right. I think this is, this, this, let's do an entire show on the dog issue. Um, Looking at it from all ends. Yeah. (laughs) 
By the way, the, the chief of police did actually provide the number of police complaints for all of last year about dogs on the beach. And the total number of police complaints was 19. Yes, Not 1,900, could, 19. Yes, but I could, you could smell the controversy coming. It's, <laughs> it's foul. He's awesome. Yes. Anyway, that's that's the, the life and times of Kibis Gain. Sheer poetry. I love when a council session turns into poetry, and that was absolute poetry. Well, yes, we'll we'll keep folks apprised of that, and probably at the same time, we we can monitor the painting of the bike lanes to green. Um, yes, we've sir. already covered that one. But uh, that's going to take up our show for today. I want to thank uh, our guests, uh, J. Scott Applewhite from the Associated Press, uh, who is getting ready for the inauguration up there in Washington, and Commissioner Regalado for joining us and um, answering questions about what's happening with vaccines. And our, um, uh, you know, we'll be following up on that as well. Thanks to both of you. And thanks, everybody, for listening. This is Antisocial. My name is Tony Winton. I'm Tom Mosloom. Be safe, everybody. Hey!